Hey, it's Ryan Russillo, the Russillo Show podcast. I know everybody's picking the Warriors, and I am too, but let's not act like it's the most unheard of thing for the consensus pick to lose in the playoffs. Hey, it's Ryan Russillo with the Russillo Show podcast, and look at me, I'm talking about the Golden State Warriors again. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that I understand there's been a general malaise. And when I look at ratings, I just have a hard time believing ratings are telling us a true story, a dip up or a dip down. And obviously dip down would be used as a negative. But we had this entire NFL thing going on where it's like, oh, look, look at this sport. It's dying, the future of football and all this stuff. And then there's ratings that tell you now that it may have just been a blip and that the sport is entirely healthy. And as I said to everyone for years, Travel down south and then come back to me and tell me you think football is going to be extinct in 20 years. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I cannot envision any Saturday where it doesn't go down. But I would understand for anyone going into these playoffs with the Golden State Warriors that they're like, okay, this whole thing sucks. I'm sick of it. And personally, as a fan of the league, I'm actually looking forward to Durant leaving Golden State because I want to see what the Warriors do without him because I still think they have a really good chance to come out of the West. And maybe to be motivated by that and to see what Durant does in another version of some basketball happiness that he constantly seems to be pursuing 10 plus years into his career. But I can't tell you there's any team right now that I look at that's even positioned as well as Houston was last year. Like Houston won all those games. They were the one seed. And yet I still couldn't pick against Golden State. For me, it's the Warriors. And you have to convince me what can change that. But isn't that kind of the point? So as we've all sat around for years watching these sports, and I'm not even talking just basketball, but all the years where we've gone, "Ah, everybody knows it's going to happen, so who cares anyway? And then it doesn't happen. I mean, think about that Lakers team that lost to the Pistons and got worked in those NBA Finals. Nobody, nobody thought the Pistons were going to win that. It was Kobe Shaq. It was a done deal. The veterans that they'd brought over. And the Pistons, they couldn't do anything with Detroit. They couldn't guard him. They smoked him. Chauncey Billets would come on and talk with us about it all the time, being like, it just took us like the first game and a half. And we're like, you know what? This thing's over. Like, they can't play with us. And then you find out afterwards that the Lakers were kind of a mess. But that's kind of what keeps bringing us back in, isn't it? So instead of just sitting around and being like, oh, it's so predictable, there's so many other times where that hasn't happened. Where Detroit, oh, well, whatever, they're just going to come out of the East again until LeBron James in 2007 basically single-handedly knocks them out and wins the Eastern Conference. That's not something we expected. In 2009, we had all of these ads already built in for Kobe versus LeBron, and it was just, yeah, man, I can't wait to see Kobe, LeBron. Oh, the NBA playoffs are so predictable. And then guess what? Cleveland can't guard Orlando. So... Golden State is a better version than all of those teams, but it's kind of the whole point of this and that as predictable as it may seem, how many times have you as a fan of any league thought you knew what was going to happen and then it doesn't because things change and teams are different. Their mentality is different. Now, Golden State defensively picked it up to close the season. They were middle of the pack, which was historically bad for a team trying to win an NBA championship. They moved up to 10th in defensive efficiency. They're a good chunk ahead of Houston, I believe, in offensive efficiency. Yeah, I mean, they're a healthy gap there. I mean, these are very marginal numbers, but um, there is a pretty healthy gap there per 100 possessions ahead of Houston, and then Milwaukee is third. So offensively, they're still the same team. But defensively, they took a step back, and they've stepped that up. And even Houston, who I had a hard time kind of going, what are their efficiency numbers 
mean for 82 games when they've had so many different versions of themselves because of all the different injuries. But, you know, Houston may now be the real team that we have to pay attention to again because as dismissive as we were collectively about them last year, and the TNT crew crushed those guys after the fact and going, oh, look at this ISO, look at this ISO. Well, that's what they do, man. I mean, that's entirely what they do. And I even think Daryl Morey made a really good point. I think it was last week on Twitter. He said, it's funny how ISO spacing and ISO shooting is thought to be boring, but ISO post play in the 80s and 90s is somehow more aesthetically pleasing because it's a really good point. Because back then, most of these teams were playing like two-man basketball and you just waited to have a guy set up a guy in the post and then everybody sat around and watched him. Is that really better? Well, of course not. It isn't better, but that's one of those things that we do where we have this weird thing of thinking the new thing is always the best and somehow also simultaneously thinking the newest thing is the worst. So when I handicap the rest of the West, you know, it's just, it's been this thunder thing that I'm totally off of now. And it wasn't about stats. It was strictly about is there a mentality that the Thunder could have in a matchup there where, you know, at some point with Golden State, those guys are just giving it to Durant and Durant's freaked out by the whole thing. I don't know. I mean, it's not like Durant's not played well in the playoffs here, but I was trying to hold on to that. And then the last month or so, it just wasn't that good. I know the Thunder have won three in a row since then. Um, San, Di- uh, San Antonio isn't good. Um, you know, the Clippers thing, they've been this incredible story, but I, I you know, Buying into any of these teams is really, really tough, and I really don't buy into Denver, um, honestly, as much, uh, especially going up against Golden State. So I think, uh, yeah, I still think it feels like it's Houston as the most challenging team, despite what looked like an emotional hangover and Rockets players probably thinking all summer, all in the fall. I don't know when they got over it, but they did because they played better. But there had to have been a massive mental hangover realizing they were missed threes away from probably winning an NBA title when no one thought it could happen. So that's the whole point of this. And who knows? I mean, who knows if it's Golden State and Milwaukee in an NBA Finals. I'd even put Toronto in that group. I think Philly has moments where they look really special. Then other times they look very predictable and kind of disappointing. But that's what keeps bringing us back. For all the times we thought we knew the end of the story, the end of the story ended up being the last thing we thought would happen. For more on the NBA playoffs, here's Bamani Jones, host of the Right Time Podcast. Thanks, Ryan. All right, so like, welcome to the NBA playoffs, and maybe the most interesting question in the NBA playoffs is, what in the hell is Denver going to do? Right? They, they play in that time zone that is really easy to get lost in. They've been really, really good, except the time when a lot of us have decided to pay attention to them is when they play against the Warriors, and the Warriors have blown their doors off whenever they have managed to play. So this team that has been one of the two best in the West – is also one that sure feels like it might get wiped out of there in the first round. They have a guy that has demonstrated himself to be a superstar caliber, regular season talent, if nothing else, but the best thing that Jokic does is pass as much as anything else. Are we betting on that part? The Nuggets have done everything they can in spite of having all of these injuries, but then the playoffs come around and that's a time where injuries actually matter. And so we are left with the Warriors that I honestly believe the Warriors are probably as vulnerable as they have been at any time in this run. And it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that the Warriors have not really been a playoff juggernaut. Like when you've watched them, they've been series certainly where they've blown people's doors off. But we've seen them push just about every year that they've been in the playoffs, even in some series that they won in like five games. You saw it from game to game that they managed to get pushed. 
except for outside of Houston, you don't have anybody that you can point to in the West and say, okay, that's a team I think can maybe beat the Warriors. I got nobody else that I can point to in that conference that I think can maybe beat the Warriors. I feel like there are a couple teams in the East that can maybe beat the Warriors, but I won't believe it until I actually see them start landing some haymakers against them. But Denver, like, that's the really good team. The, the team that's been really good this whole way. And I don't feel like any of us have any idea what they are going to do once they get there. Like, if they wind up in the second round and they're matched up against Houston, I don't think that any of us are going to wind up picking Denver. We're all going to go with Houston. And look, the margins, like if somebody's going to take out the Warriors, the margins are on injury. Like one thing that gets forgotten when they lost that series in 2016 to the Cavs is one thing that happened was they lost Andrew Bogut. And Andrew Bogut wasn't the greatest player in the world, but losing Andrew Bogut, given that that came down to a game seven, that was what, like one possession? Losing a guy like Andrew Bogut is enough to swing what the direction of a series is going to be. If Andre Iguodala winds up with his back flaring up and he's hurt or playing at like 75% for much of the playoffs, that can be enough to swing this thing for the Warriors, given how good they are when they go with their top four guys plus Iguodala. They're way better doing that than they are putting Boogie Cousins out there for the extension of the time. But none of us can like see it. None of us have like the thing that we can point to. And we've had all kinds of teams that we've looked at like this that have lost. But it's not going to be a matter of I can decide when it is that they are going to lose. I can't decide how many games it's going to be. I don't know. Like you go back and you look at the Lakers in the 1980s when they had that Showtime run. In 83, they were swept. In 85, they lost to the Celtics in seven. In 86, they lost to the Rockets in five. In 89, they were swept by the Pistons. In 90, they lost to the Suns in five games. Now, granted, the team had gotten depleted by the time you get around to the Suns run, but none of us would have pointed to those series beforehand and be like, yo, I just think the Lakers are going to get blown out the building here, I don't think. In fact, that year in 89, where the Lakers got swept by the Pistons, they swept every series up until the finals when they then got swept. Like, this can happen. Uh The Lakers in 4 when they lost to the Pistons, the five-game sweep. I don't think any of us thought going into that that they were going to lose that. Then all of a sudden we looked up and we're like, oh, wow, maybe the Pistons are a better team. And then we kind of had to, like, adjust our narrative and throw that around on the other side or whatever. But we didn't have it. Like, we didn't know. And there we are looking at the West. And we got one team that's been so good all year. And we're like, oh, well, I'm, I know it ain't going to be them. Maybe the Rockets, assuming Chris Paul, you know, doesn't do old people things because Chris Paul is now an old person. Maybe that's the place it gets done. I don't know. But I feel like somebody can beat the Warriors. Just don't ask me who that somebody is. One more NBA conversation. Here's Brian Winhurst, host of Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective podcast. Thanks, Bo. I'm Brian Winhurst of the Hoop Collective, and we talk about the NBA. Maybe you've heard about something that's going on right now called the NBA Playoffs. Give us a listen. Number two, Denver versus number seven, San Antonio. Jackie, Denver has been shaky to be kind for the last three, four weeks. Their offense has Mm. eroded a little bit. Jokic has been up and down. Um, They got embarrassed by the Warriors, which is not in in a sin. but By the Warriors twice and the Rockets once. They had three showcase opportunities and got spanked. Not just yeah, lost, they're not ready. got humiliated. Not ready. This is my upset special. Spurs in six for, I mean, and also the fact that, look, Paul Millsap's the only rotation player with any real playoff experience. Uh, Isaiah Thomas' playoff experience isn't going to help the Nuggets. 
And Lamarcus yeah. Aldridge and he's is to a Aldridge. problem. He, he, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's a problem, and that's a huge problem because when Lamarcus rolls, so do the Spurs. They're, they are 37-10 and 10 when he gets 20-plus, and he's going to be getting a lot of 20-plus games in this series. I think the Spurs win this series. I can point out that DeMar DeRozan has a spotty playoff record. There's some. Mm-hmm. There's some. He doesn't have to be the go-to moments. guy, though. Uh, I know, but he didn't always have to be the go-to guy in Toronto. Uh, he's uh, just just point. I'm just not going to bail on out. the Nuggets just yet. I'm not going to bail on the Nuggets just yet because Jokic has been a little up and down, but he's still been just a revelation. I was, you know, the Athletic. Did you guys see the players' poll of all the I MVPs mm-hmm. and all that? And and you know, nobody gives Jokic any love, and and he deserved it for this year. What he did, and he and Murray together. When he and Jamal Murray are on the floor together, the and I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they're pretty amazing, and uh, and they they ha- they've had some really nice bench. Uh, you know, Malik Beasley's had a great year. Monty Morris, you know, again they've got guys now. They haven't been there before, but sometimes when you're young and you don't know any better, the the moment I remember Sam Cassell always telling me that. Sometimes the moment is big, and you're not even old enough to know that the moment is big. <laughs> yeah, but the fact is they knew the moment was big when they had a chance to play the Warriors when the top seed was still at stake, and it was too big for them. That's right, right. So but the Warriors, they, are, the Warriors the are a whole separate – the Warriors are a whole separate entity to me. Okay, the so Warriors, I mean, the, the Rockets sen- recently. Like I said, they, they, they've shrunk yeah, no, I hear in their big, big moments down the stretch. I, I think they the have. Nuggets are going to be – and Jokic was on my MVP ballot. He was first-team All-NBA center on my ballot, and I think he certainly should yeah. win that. Yeah, um, he deserves that. He and I think the Nuggets are going to be a, a factor in the Western Conference for years to come, but I think this is going to be a learning experience for them. Huh? Well, we'll say this. Derek White. Derek, Derek White. He's he was the first team on my all defensive ballot. That kid is he could play, he, man. He's a, he's a great find. They are great at home. Maybe not so much lately, but they are great at home. And sometimes inexperienced and role players play better at home. Mm-hmm. And so the chance you know to play yep. at home may be a big factor here. Okay, this is the interesting one. Um, mm, yes, this is going to be the next two series are going to be. Battles. This is potentially a seven gamer. Whoever was going to draw the Thunder in the first round was going to have a problem. The Thunder, after all of their wayward play, got it together and won the last five games of the regular season. Won seven of their last ten overall. Got the six seed. They were facing the eight for quite some time there. Got the six. We'll play Portland, who I think went 14 and 3 down the stretch themselves. Um, this could be a battle. Um, McMahon, you're more familiar with the West. Um, you've just seen Oklahoma City up close. That was a big, huge win for them. I actually the didn't see that one. I was, I was at the Dirk level. Oh, you were fest. Dirk, that's right. I was I watching know. Jamal Crawford drop 51 at age 39. That's right. A footnote <laughs> in history. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, they're um, but, the Blazers but I, are over, right? They're over this year against OKC. Over four, and and they had to sit, they've had to sit around for a year after having being stun stun swept last year, and yes. they sit around they, for they, a year on that. And they've got two of those. You know, they it's been a long time since they've won a playoff series. Uh, that that's a problem. They've got some playoff demons. And then look, give them credit because they've still managed to keep on rolling. But not having Nurkic in a series huge. is a huge problem, huge. especially when you've got a deal. And, and Adams got banged up last night, so we'll you know we'll see if he if, came back in and he finished the game. 
Yeah, but you know, we'll see how healthy he is. But not not having Nurkic, yeah. especially in a series when you've got a big, mean, snarling Aquaman looking beast like Adams on the other side, that's no. an issue. Cantor Can- does do some things for them. Cantor is a is a Cantor. You know, he gets ripped for his defense, and there's no question it's a problem. But Cantor does some things. But this is his Can't buddy Cantor, as as Billy Donovan got caught saying, yeah, on the so Oklahoma famously City said, Vince when he was yeah. with the Thunder. Can't that's right, Cantor. Amazing. It, it, and by the way, it, it was just like a disgust on his face. Like, it, maybe not disgust, but it was just like... Nah, rubble, just, he was just, I mean, the, the Rockets put him in pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll. Uh, I tell you what, though, man. Oh, man, what a juicy matchup. Dane Lillard against Russell Westbrook. And there's a heated kind of respect there. But there's also been Russ... Remember Russ last year when he was mad that Paul George didn't get the All-Star bid? You know, you never hear players say, you always hear him say, my teammate got snubbed. You never hear him say who shouldn't have. He pointed out Dame as the guy who shouldn't have been on there. So that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to watch those two. Well, guys. and is McCollum healthy, too? Yeah, healthy that. and in rhythm after missing all that time with the knee. Right. Yeah, he's been out almost a month. But it's crazy. So it's I too mean, bad. And, and give, I feel bad for them. Give Dame credit because they have, since the All-Star break, only the Rockets have a better record in the NBA than the uh, than the Blazers, despite the fact that two of the three best players have have missed a bunch of time, and obviously Nurkic isn't coming back. They, these two teams remind me of each other, so I mm-hmm. went and looked at some of the numbers. They're number six and seven in the league in scoring. They're twelve and eighteen in shooting percentage. Um, Oklahoma City's number two behind Milwaukee in rebound in total rebounds. Portland's number seven assists per game. <laughs> OKC's twenty third. Portland's 25th because neither one of them sprayed the ball around a ton. Scoring defense, <laughs> Portland's number 14. Is. Yes, Portland's number 14 and OKC's number 15. But here's the one that separates them. Defensive efficiency. Oklahoma mm-hmm. City is number four and Portland is number 16. And there's where mm-hmm. – but the other numbers are so eerily similar. It's kind of But I will say that Oklahoma City is a shaky offensive team at times. It's not – they're not the, yeah. they're not the greatest test. But – Here's what I know. Uh, Last it, year, it's now about Paul George, when Paul George right. was, was an MVP candidate, they were one of the best teams in the league. And you know, when he was struggling with his shoulders and inefficient after the break, they went through a rough stretch. And he so, didn't play right in their final game either, right? Is that shoulder still bothering him? Yeah, he didn't play, but but he he looked it looked the shoulder looked pretty good when he hit the three to beat the Rockets tonight. That, that was right. a very yeah, was a good big. execution on that play, by the way. Uh, last year, now they don't. I know that the Thunder don't have a Drew Holiday. Okay. I recognize mm-hmm. that, but last year I was at the first couple of games of the series with the with the Pelicans, and the Pelicans' game plan was: we are not letting Dame Willard beat us. We will let CJ McCollum beat us. We will let Yusef Nurkic beat us. We will let Evan Turner beat us. And Evan Turner has had a really he's been a really good playmaker when McCollum went down. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if Billy Donovan goes towards that game plan and just says. You know, because you know, this is what you see in, in the playoffs. People forget every year how much different. I mean, you can, you know, starting today, the, the Thunder are going to be able to tailor a complete game plan to do what, to do what uh, they want. And so that's the question. Will they try to shut Dame down and how will Dame handle it? I think the West, I, I, I think we could have a couple of seven game series in the West. I actually could see three of the four series going seven. That won't happen. Mm-hmm. But I could see it. I don't really see a seven-game series in the East unless Indiana stuns. Um, I'm not seeing any upsets. I, I, I have 
I have uh, on alert. I have Philly on a little bit of an alert if Embiid's not right, and if if Boston kicks away a game, um, maybe. For more hoop thoughts, here's Zach Lowe, host of the Low Post podcast. Thanks, Brian. We are going to put eight minutes on the clock for. in the West, thanks to a series of tanktastic events from the Denver Nuggets, the Houston Rockets, and the Utah Jazz, a rematch of last season's conference semifinals, won 4-1 by Houston. Ricky Rubio missed that entire series. They split the season series this year 2-2. There were missed games littering some of those. Um, My... Most This is counterintuitive because the most interesting part of any Houston game is usually how in the hell are they going to guard James Harden? And the answer for Utah has been actually mostly Ricky Rubio, whose health is in question, and dropping Gobert back at the rim like most of these teams do. I'm actually more interested on the other side of the ball. Utah's offense, 14th in the league, although the numbers are, are much better than that when they play their Jay Crowder at the four lineup versus the favors go bear lineup. But we remember last season um, against a different, both stylistically and qualitatively Rockets defense that switched all the time. The jazz could not score. The jazz could not score against them in the regular season. And so to me, this is a very competitive series. The numbers would say these are two of the best three or four teams in the league, if not the two best periods since about February 1st. Um, to me, this series gets interesting if Utah can score on Houston. And that sounds weird because Houston's defense has been bad all year. But A, I think they have another gear. And B, we have some evidence that the way they play, although they don't switch as much as they used to, is a problem for a Utah team that doesn't have a post-up guy, dump it down, put somebody in the basket, and really only has Mitchell as a one-on-one guy. So, Coach, take that end of the floor. What are you looking for from Utah to kind of loosen loosen up the works a little bit? Well, first of all, you stole my line. Uh, I, first thing I have is they're the, they are the two best teams since February first. If you almost any metric you look at when you combine offense and defense. So, uh, and and for Utah, uh, they've been shooting it great. I, I don't know that anyone would think of Utah as a great shooting team, but but since February first, they've been shooting it great. And so my second note was uh, Donovan Mitchell as a passer. Because I do think they're going to switch a lot uh, on ball screens with him. And Houston is not crazy tall. In fact, you know, we know them as a team that likes to play small with P.J. Tucker as a four. And even maybe sometimes I think they might throw him out some as a five in this series. But there's a lot of long-rangey guys that they have that seem to bother Mitchell at the rim, which is a very important thing for him to be able to get to the rim and, and finish. He's not, he's not the best finisher. And so, but what I do think is important is whether or not he's going to take on that role of being – a shot created for people because if he can do that, because they will bring a crowd to him when he drives, and if he if he's willing just to make the easy play, remember he's still a very young player. Yeah, he got experience last year, but if he if he's willing to be that guy, in a sense, what Rubio often does because he doesn't want to shoot the ball, uh, and they're shooting it the way they're shooting it in the past, uh, that team can ring up some numbers. And then it gets down to, and you've written about this, and I've tweeted about this. Uh, now you, you go to the other end because. Harden is unguardable, and he's going to get any shot he wants. And if he's making those shots, the pressure is on to continue to make them if Utah can hit theirs, which is what it gets down to, you know, kind of a shot-making series, which isn't always the case, but it is in this one, I think. Yeah, um, you know, when you talk about Mitchell and his making a simple play, I mean, the most obvious way to attack – now, Houston doesn't switch as much as they used to because they got nervous about 20 games into the season of uh, – about. 
taking their big guys away from the rim and just hemorrhaging offensive rebounds, and they wanted to protect Chris Paul and Eric Gordon a little bit from just getting obliterated by big guys down low. So we'll see if they amp up the switching. But I think two areas for Utah to sort of scrounge, scrounge some points. If their half-court offense is a little is a little gummy, number one, offensive rebounding. They're a good offensive rebounding team, not a great one, and Houston is awful on the boards. And number two, and this is really out of Utah's wheelhouse, I think they need to run a little bit. I, I think they need to selectively run kind of how, you know, like when Cleveland beat the Warriors, everyone's like Cleveland, it would be suicidal for them to run. It's not their style and they're playing the Warriors. I, I kind of think with the way, like when James Harden misses at the rim, there are four guys below the foul line. And if they get that rebound, I think Utah, which is a so-so offensive team, that's when they have to say, let's go. Let's look ahead. Let's see if we can get some easy points. It's not in our DNA. It's not the way we play, but maybe we can run into something. And I think that, that those are the little sort of side battles that make these series so interesting. Well, something else to watch for, too, is if, if, we, if you and I both agree that there really is nothing you can do with Harden. Phoenix recently tried to double him early off the dribble and off the pass, and it was laughable. I think they hit 27 threes or whatever in the game. He, it's, you, you can't double that guy. Plus, he, can, he also can score one-on-two. But what you can do is put him in a lot of pin-down actions and handoff actions, he, especially pin-down with Mitchell. When he's guarding Mitchell, they can run Mitchell off the ball and then, and then pin him down. And then he, Harden just wants to stay on his guy. He doesn't want to pop out. Uh, and so on the switch, he's just going to stay with his guy if it's on the inside he doesn't want to show in the perimeter and have to guard someone, you know, 25 feet in the basket, considering how much work he has to do on offense. So if they can try to get Harden involved defensively, which is not rocket science, teams have done that in the past, but especially off the ball as much as on the ball, there's a chance, and again, it's just a chance that he's not going to do what he's supposed to do. Teammates might get frustrated. And Tony might get a little miffed, especially if guys like Mitchell and, and, and Rubio, whomever, are scoring off at Crowder. Uh, you might just piss him off a little bit. You need to try to do something because if you don't do anything to get into James Harden on one end of the floor, then the offensive end is going to kill you because I just don't think there's anything to do with him there. It's it's something that Utah can hang their hat on constantly in timeouts and, and before games and, and at halftime is let's get Harden off the ball into actions and make him do something. Yeah, it, it's something that really stood out on the film of this head-to-head in, in the regular season is Utah, when they sort of – when they got fancy – when they when they added wrinkles on top of wrinkles, they actually put Houston in some in problematic positions. So like instead of just running a pick and roll, have have Mitchell screen for Rubio if Rubio plays, and then pop out behind another screen right away. Have yeah. uh, that that kind of have they actually ran some split action where somebody would post up and then they would do the war with the Warriors do. Everyone just sort of runs together and comes apart. That stuff gave Houston and particularly Harden. Um, some issues I, I, on the other end of the floor, like we, it's like we know what they're going to do. They're going to climb on top of James Harden's left shoulder and try to force him towards Gobert at the rim. Uh, and and if you recall, uh, and well, I I think we're going to see a lot of Royce O'Neal because he's the sort of most natural matchup for Harden. Exum being out is maybe a, a slight problem, although he's so bad offensively that I don't know that it is. Um, and if you recall, last year they were actually all right against Harden. It was Chris Paul. That killed them. And I think Gobert this year has looked a little more spry coming out as far as he needs to come out to at least not make that a 15-foot layup for Chris. And so those are sort of the – and there are little wrinkles you can look for. Like whenever Corver's on the court, they're going to have Corver's man come screen for Harden and this and that. But I just think, you know, 
if they can make like Chris Paul just sliced them up last year, and and if they can make that a little harder. But on the flip side, Harden is so much better against that kind of defense, having seen it so many times. He has a real floater now that's a real weapon for him. If he gets ahead of steam, like I love when Nene sets a pick for him at like half court, and he could just be like, "Go bear, you're now thirty feet away from me. I am coming at you." And that that's a problem. I it's th- those are it's such an interesting chess match. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned the thing. I'm, I, I call it just uh, that the early uh, high screen for Harden when he when he gets that uh, that when he gets that momentum going, he, he's I mean he's impossible anyway. But that's really hard when the, the high screen or whoever it is. Uh, uh, the Austin Rivers, if it's going to be a competitive series, and you and I both I think feel like it's going to be six or seven games, or it certainly could be. Well, then little things really matter. Eh, I'm not quite there yet, but but I'll but I'll, I'll allow it. I think it's going to be competitive. Obviously, how Harden finishes games will be huge uh, because I think the game's going to be close, and he's just better than everyone, in my opinion. But Austin Rivers, who, as, as a non-shooter, can be a problem. But if uh, when they take Harden out of the game, I don't know that Utah's got many guys that can stay in front of him one-on-one and let him be the facilitator. He's obviously not Harden. Uh, but you can't put him in really when Harden is in the game because now his guy is is an easy helper. So how he how he does things, and I want to see how PJ does at the five if they if they try that. Some Gobert's improved enough as a roller dunker now, where he he might be able to overwhelm PJ. Where in years past maybe he couldn't because he wasn't strong enough. But uh, those are things that uh, we we can't just assume James to get forty every game. He might, and then and then it's an academic. But if he doesn't, the other guy, some of the using guys have to do well. I believe we are out of. I, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have sneered at at the idea of a six or seven game series. I think actually think Utah. Um, I think this should be a, a decently competitive series. The Rubio thing worries me a little bit. Yeah, and right. and and I just think it's it's a matchup. It's a, it's a difficult matchup, and it's a shame that Denver's scheme right. to engineer this actually worked. Although it took a, a, a crazy series of events to make it work but i i will end up probably picking houston to win this series okay our time is now up on this series for all our nba podcasts you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts like this one